first from the head, then from your heart. And I believe that if you know that you've worked and you've done something before, like when I first fought for my world title in my seventh fight, I was fighting 15 rounds. He can't fight 15 rounds. He's never done it before. He's never fought 15. I trained to do 15 rounds every day. Of course I was ready. My mind told me I was ready. I didn't care what everybody said. I didn't care if the whole world said I couldn't do it. I knew I could do it because I'd done it. So it's um, yeah, the thing that I try to tell everybody is preparation and mental preparation is everything. If you've done the preparation for something, and you know you've done it, you're going to go out there and you're going to achieve. And if you, you know, like I said, there's always a day where you might have a bad day or something happens. Like I said, you could have overtrained or undertrained. But if you've done the preparation, you believe in yourself, just go out and do what you love and enjoy it. I'm Jamie Knobs and you're listening to So What's Next, the podcast to share Australian athlete stories and how they transitioned out of sport. On today's episode, I'm talking to the incredible Jeff Fennick. Jeff is an Australian professional boxer, one of the best we've had in Australia. He's won three world titles in three separate weight divisions, so bantamweight, super bantamweight and featherweight. Jeff was trained by Johnny Lewis and was inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame in 2002. He was also inducted into the Australian National Boxing Hall of Fame Moderns category and elevated into legend status in 2013. He became a part of the Australian Sport Hall of Fame in 1986 and represented Australia at the 1984 Los Angeles Summer Olympics. He was actually the boxing team captain. Now, let's get into some of his fights. At the LA Summer Olympics, uh, Jeff actually lost the quarterfinal in a controversial decision. After this, Fennec turned to professional boxing, and his first professional fight was against Bobby Williams, which was a knockout in round two. Jeff has had a total of 33 professional fights, winning 29 of them, 21 of them by knockout, three losses, and one draw. So it's an incredible stack of achievements under his belt. In 2005, Fennec became the trainer for former heavyweight champion Mike Tyson, another familiar name. Jeff is now a trainer and now owns a sporting brand which runs under his name in Australia and I'm so excited to share this episode with you. So thank you all so much for joining. First of all, thank you so much for joining us, Jeff. Pleasure, always a pleasure. So can you tell me a little bit about what your childhood was like and how you actually got into boxing? Uh, well, my childhood, I um, um, had a mother who worked three jobs. My dad was uh, sick all my life. Uh, he had heart problems from a young um, from a young age. So, um, although my dad was at home, my mum was there, uh, worked three jobs every day and worked really hard to, to support six children. So, you know, I've travelled the world, so my upbringing wasn't <laughs> wasn't terrible. But, um, you know, um, yeah, for me, it was, um, it was good. My, like I said, my mum always looked after us and, um, you know, um, there was always a way to where I lived and People I hung around with, there's always a way to make a little bit of money in other ways, and um, we all just did the best we could. All right. And what age did you actually get into boxing and decide that that was what you wanted to do? Well, I never boxed until I was like 17. I'd played football all my life. And um, just one day, coincidentally, I went to a police youth club with some friends, and uh, we didn't go there to, to train with it because we were going to have a fight with some other young guys, and uh, they weren't there. And as we were searching through this youth club at Newdown there, the last room was a boxing room, and then, um, you know, we sat down in there. I did sat there and I watched a few boys box, and I seen somebody that I knew from uh, my football team, a school friend, and then um, 
I watched him box, and at the end of the day, I heard the trainer ask if somebody would box him, and I thought that I could <laughs> could do it, and I said, I'll do it. And um, yeah, so the next day I boxed, and um, although it wasn't too good, or well, I didn't feel too good because I got you know I got beaten up a little bit. I was winded and sore as hell, I'm not doing it ever before. And but the trainer said to me that I had potential. He wanted me to come back, so um, uh, <laughs> reluctantly, after getting beaten up that first day, I went back, and um, really the rest is history. And um, things happened really quick for me. So like I said, um. I was there when I was 17. I was 19 when I went to the Olympics. I was 20 when I was world champion. So I think that I was born to to, to be a fighter. I think I was, um, you know, just uh, blessed to have found um, what I was great at. I am by accident one crazy day uh, as you're walking around, you know, trying to get into trouble. Do you think the sport? So was it AFL or was it rugby? I'm guessing Sydney rugby side. League, rugby, rugby, league, yeah. rugby, yes, rugby league. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Do Do you find any similarities between rugby league and boxing? Well, for me, the only similarity was that I was so small that I had to train harder than everybody else. I was like, you know, for me to, to be in the rugby team, to be in my rugby league team, I had to be fit enough to, you know. Yeah, but no, I mean, you're in an individual sport. In, in football, yeah, there's, you know, there's 13, you got 12 of your friends that can help you whenever you're tired or if anything happens. But um, in boxing, it's totally different. You're on your own. It's a sport that, yeah, you know, um, you can't ask anybody for help. Or if you get if you get injured, you can't go down and, and, and take a time out or have a drink of water and, Go off and come back on. It's yeah, it's a total, total individual sport. And I think I loved it. I loved that challenge. I loved um, the one-on-one combat. And also, um, you know, I loved that you're in there with somebody. And like for me, it was um, when I played rugby league, these guys were all gigantic compared to me. When I played, when I boxed, these guys were like around the same weight. And so it was good. It was different for me, but again, it was a, a real challenge. And um, yeah, I, I loved it. When we look at your your training regime and your recovery as a boxer, what did that look like? How many days a week were you training and how were you recovering in the process? Yeah, well, I trained every day. I trained seven days a week, twice a day. But the other thing was, I think maybe back then I didn't really um, <clears throat> know the, the science of it that I know today as a trainer and watching other people that yeah, sometimes um, being a little underdone is better than being overdone and having a rest when you need it is really important where back then I never really did I just wanted to work hard and hard and hard and thinking that um, you know I had to be fitter and stronger than everybody else which um, which was one of my um, strong points because I was uh, so physically fit and so physically strong but um, yeah look if I could change a few things today of course you you, you look at um, what, what's evolved and, and the science uh, behind um, recovery and that today and I think that, um, you know, yeah, yeah, who knows if I could have done it better, but I'm sure that, you know, having a day off here and there would have made me feel a lot better on some occasions. I think that's true. I um, It's incredible how much the technology has changed for people and athletes today. It really has come a long way. As an athlete, you've had some incredible achievements over your time. When you look back, what are you most proud of? Well, I think of um, when I first started, um, you know, when I got selected to represent Australia at the Olympics, it was a super special thing for me, for my neighbourhood, for everybody that I knew. Um, and it was an amazing, you know, period of my, of my life then because uh, yeah, within two and a bit years, I'd gone from, you know, just starting boxing to, to being the, the Olympic boxing captain. So that was you know, kind of a huge achievement. But then when I look back today, like after boxing, I think that, um, you know, you really know if you made it in sport when your sport's over and you see the accolades you receive or you see the respect from your peers. And in the boxing circles, um, yeah, I've got, yeah, you know, I just got picked in the top 12 WC fighters in history, and um, you know I've got a couple of huge awards. And people don't realise that, um, you know, my, my record had been the, the, the quickest boxer ever to win three world titles it was just uh, broken by Vasily Lemonchenko, and uh, 
you know, I held that for over 33 years. So, yeah, look, I've done a lot of great things. I won my first boxer ever to be undefeated three-time world champion. So there's a lot of things that I had. In my first 25 fights, I think I fought for 13 world titles, which is unheard of, you know. And like, you know, four or five of those fights were back back then were 15 rounds. So I've done some things. Well, like I said, I think it's just part and parcel of what you do. And uh, it's just a journey. And um, it was just my journey. My journey was, um, you know, um, I, I don't know if I had a lucky journey or if I just worked hard and I was in the right place at the right time. But I think a combination of all of it makes, um, you know, uh, what I've done pretty uh, pretty remarkable. I think Especially out of Australia. Yes. Especially doing it from Australia was even more remarkable, you know. Some of the fighters I fought, like, you know, um, you know, in my you know, 11th or 12th fight, I fought a guy named Daniel Zaragoza, who's, you know, after I beat him, uh, went on to be world champion for another eight years after. Yeah, he's in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, like, yeah, like I said, um, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of great things I've done. But like I said, um, again, I think, you know, I don't get the credit that the boxers in America and so-and-so get because I'm here in Australia. And, you know, it's a little different to uh, giving recognition to our to our greats here. But um, like I said, um, in America, I'm very, very well respected and um, people know what I've done and um, people know, um, yeah, that I'm one of the great fighters of the last you know, century, you know. Were you, did you have to spend much time overseas for training? I'm guessing the facilities here weren't as... Well, no. Listen, see, well, it's not about facilities. Boxing's a, <laughs> a thing that, like I said, it's, although today a lot of the training's changed, you see these guys doing all this high-tech stuff, but to me it's, it's, it's not needed. Boxing's pretty simple. You get up every morning, you do your road work, you, you do your core work, and uh, you do your boxing in the afternoon. I mean, forget all this uh, strength and conditioning and how many jumps you can do on hops. Listen, we don't, you don't count them in the ring. All you, you count is, is your punches landing and, and not getting hit. So, like I said, for me, um, I just kind of think that a lot of the things that are happening in boxing today are, you know, really, um, I think that it's detrimental, this people training two and three times or three and four times a day. Like I said, um, the greatest fighters in history, the Arlies, Roberto Durans, the Hagglers, Everybody else, they got up in the morning, they, they done their road work and they, they ate properly, they rested and they done their boxing in the afternoon. So, um, you know, a lot of this stuff I think is a, a bit overrated these days. When I think you... in all sports, people, people try today to, to, over, to overdo things. Like I said, um, for me, um, you look at the, the simplest way to do things the best and, 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 and you stick with it. I mean, like, you know, I mean, these people who say they train four and five hours a day, it's impossible. Your body can't, your body can't put up with that. It's like me getting into my car and thrashing the engine yeah, for four or five hours a day. How long is the car going to last? Not long. And it's the same as your body. These guys who say they do that, I'm going to say them. And if they, if they do it, their, their careers aren't going to be as long and as fruitful as they'd like them to be. Yeah. When you look back, what did you see as a setback or any challenge that you faced as a boxer? Was injuries a thing for you that you had yeah, to overcome? Yeah, I was pretty unlucky when people, um, uh, you think about runners and racehorses and great. Listen, I, I, every fight I had, I, I, I fought man, with broken hands. My hands were very, very badly damaged. I'd, lots of times I'd break them prior to the, the fight and have to get injections. And a lot of the other times, um, you know, during the fight, after two or three rounds, my hands would be the, the size of the gloves. We had to cut the gloves off to get my hands out. So I was one of those guys who was very, very blessed and freakish to, to have been able to have such a, uh, a great career in boxing with the tools on my trade, very, very badly damaged. Was that always the case in both at an Olympic level and at a professional level, or was it oh, something yeah. that my, just came yeah, no, no. In my, my first, I'll never forget the first time I won my Australian amateur title. And, you know, over three days, um, I don't know if I really even slept because I was up trying to get my hands better, have them in ice, you know, so that I could pass the doctor. And, you know, when the doctor would touch my hands because I bruised, I had to, like, you know, like pretend that I wasn't in pain. So, no, I had it 
I remember that was way back in 1983, so I had it for a long time. Yeah. Like, you know, I've had seven operations. I've had pins put in both my hands. I've had um, wedges of bone cut out of both of them, you know, so it's been a, it's been a, it's been a hard road. But like I said, um, would I change anything? I'd love to have good hands, but, um, you know, I think um, the, the sore hands and the things that I went through and made the victory sweeter. Yeah. Made the and made the story even better because it's just telling the truth, you know. Yeah. It I guess the battle scars. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. that like did you have any mentors in the sport? Well, I had my trainer Johnny Lewis who um you know who I looked up to, who I you know, um, would walk through a, a brick wall for if he told me that I had to whatever, if he told me I had to jump off the harbour bridge to win my next fight, I'd go and jump off. If he told me I had to, you know, um walk across glass I'd, I'd do it I just um, whatever he said I believed in and um, you know we had a, an amazing relationship early and I think that um, you know uh, yeah he was a, a very very important part of my career he was your trainer from the start to the finish of your career is that correct yeah well close to the end not, not all the way through but yeah but um, yeah you know looks throughout my amateur whole amateur career and uh, all my three world titles my fights in Vegas he was there with me for all those so most of the important things Johnny was that Johnny was a part of now we're going to move on a little bit to success. So as an athlete, how did you define success? And now that you're a trainer, what does success look like for you? Well, when, when we talk about success for me, and I kind of think that success was um, my enemy. I think that the more success you had, the more fame and fortune you had. Yeah, did, in a, as a young kid, did I, did I ever get prepared to handle it? No, I wasn't. I was never taught, you know, or I never thought that I was going to be a millionaire or own houses and do all these things so no I, I, I really wasn't ready for it and I wasn't um, although people around you try to give you advice and you know tell you what you need to do and how to handle it that was very very difficult and I think that um that success fame and fortune was my my greatest um opponent uh, I don't think I I think if any opponent ever beat me it was it was really that and um, you know I try to teach my people who I who I teach say not train who I teach and I try to teach them how to handle success and those kind of things very very early in their career and I talk to them about how important it is to, you know, when you're on that road that leads you to, to success, to stay on it, not to, to wave and go off and listen to other people and then, yeah, just remember what got you there. Was that something that Johnny taught you as well? Was that? Well, of course, it was a, it was a part and parcel of what, um, what we all believed in. But like I said, um, I think that um, my whole team, and I say this um, without any hesitation, that Myself, my trainer, everybody that was involved in the team, we all got very, very carried away with the success that we had and everything else that came with it. And then I don't think anybody was prepared mentally for what was going to come with um, you know, me winning all these belts and you know, us getting so much money. Um, we, nobody was prepared for that. And I think it changed all of us. And to this day, um, uh, I don't know if I wish it didn't happen, but I, I know that um, that ruined a lot of great friendships and ruined a, you know, a great, great legacy that we had. Fame and fortune is. Um, you know, it's not as great as you uh, think it is if you, if you if you don't handle it properly. I'm imagining it would have been quite a stress during that time. How did you actually manage stress in the sport and, again, now as you've transitioned out of sport? Yeah, you know what, it's one of those things. And, you know, we, we've got that, you know, um, those special days today where you know, we talk about talking to people and helping people. Back then I was one of these guys who was that, that stubborn guy who thought that, you know, I didn't need any help. All it was, um, you know, you had to be mentally strong and tough and, and then as you grow up and you, you get older and you learn certain things about different people or different aspects of life, you learn that there, there are people who might have a, an amazing, tough exterior or you think they're tough, but they've gone through some very, very difficult times and they need help and they need people to talk to and they need people to, you know, yeah, to, to voice how they're feeling. And then for me, um, 
I done that on my own, which um, I regret today. And um, you know, but like I said, um, you know, I was very, very lucky that I met an amazing partner, my wife Susie, and um, yeah. So I, I think everything in life changes. And um, yeah, I think that um, back in the day, where I used to think that my friends were the only things that were good, and you have to be a male to for me to accept you or to to think that you you know the, a part of the team has changed dramatically because I realised that. Um, as you go on, um, you know, um, yeah, my wife's most likely my best friend that I've ever had and the most loyalist person I've ever been involved with. And, um, yeah, all these other guys who I paid and brought houses and cars for and everything else for um, were just there for the ride, you know. So, um, yeah, you learn about Like I said, uh, life for me has been an amazing lesson. And, uh, yeah, one that I'm, I'm happy to talk about. This leads nicely into my next question. What did your support network look like during your time as an athlete and then transitioning out? So you've mentioned your wife, Susie. Were there any other key players, I guess, during that time? Oh, well, yeah, well, I mean, back back then I had a I had a team of, I don't know how many, you couldn't count them, and then none of them are around me anymore. Just the one, my wife Susie and my beautiful girls, Kayla, Jessica, and my son, Bo, we're, you know, we're still together. But like I said, uh, the people who I thought that yeah that would be there when you when you really needed them like my trainer Johnny and like my managers and like the other guys who um who I made millionaires and they're none of them around anymore so um yeah like I said um and it, it doesn't it, it doesn't upset me but it, it just makes me um it makes me yeah sometimes it makes me want to share the story and and make sure that other people um you know um everybody we all talk about this this loyalty you got to be loyal to this no no you got to be the thing with with my experience today is that listen. I don't care who you are, where you start or where you're at the moment. It's about you getting the, the, the people who are the best in, in any area to help you. I don't care if you start off with A, B or C. And listen, if, you, if you've got to go to D, E and G to get better, you've got to go. You, 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 need to, you need those people to support you and say, listen, these people are going to help you better than I can. So you need to go there. And then, you know, that, we don't do that in the world. Everything's, uh, I started off with them. I'm going to finish. So, yeah, like I said, the world, yeah, we, yeah as, as great as we think this place is, um, you know, yeah, everything is done for a reason, and then one of the, the main reasons that motivate people is money and, like I said, and fame and, and you know, this, this glamour stuff that comes with it. But with me, I've been there, I've done all that stuff now, and I see and I try to tell people exactly the way it is. If it's black, it's black. If it's white, it's white. If somebody needs to, for me to say something and it's constructive criticism, I'm just going to say it. I'm not going to – it's not about, you know, um, who's your friend or who you're loyal to. You know, sometimes people need to hear things to make them better or to, to make the world a better place or to make our sport better. And I. You know, that's just who I am these days, you know? Yeah, I think you're completely right. I know in a lot of sports it's hard for people to move across trainers because they think they have to be loyal to them, whether that's good for yeah, them well, or I not. Yeah, well, well, they might think that this manager was the guy who started me off, and he might have started you off. But if he can't get you to where you need to get at the finish, he has to have the audacity and the, and the courage to say, listen, hey, Jeff, I just can't take you to that next level, Chen. This, this is the person you need to – and they're, they're too worried about doing that because it's all about money and stuff. It's all about greed. You know, with me, um, if I can't do something for somebody, I'm going to send it to somebody who can do it better than me. Yeah, I have seen that across other sports. It's um, it's still around today. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's right. It's, it's, it's around every day. I, so I see it in boxing every single day. Do you think there's anything that we can do to make that better? Well, the, the thing that I, that I talk about, I say, listen, what we need to do is we need to have forums where all these guys, all the trainers, everybody – who's involved in promotional business, everybody's involved. We need to sit and talk and we all need to voice our opinion. And when, when, when somebody can say something, even if something's not done, but as long as they think they voice their opinion and they, they were hurt today, they're going to go home feeling a little bit happier and think, ah, I said what I needed to say and I got it out. And I think it's really important. It's important to be able to talk and, and to say what you feel should be said. And I mean, you know, under no pressure. And, um, you know, 
we don't have it enough. I mean, everybody, they might say something behind closed doors, behind somebody's back, and then somebody else finds out, they talk, you know, they go and say something, and that just causes problems. Like I said, um, we need to, to be more open in the sport of boxing. We need to help each other and for our, our sport to be the best it can be. We all need to work together. So it's like a team sport, similar well, to your time in rugby. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, 100%. But I mean, yeah, well, you know, that, like I said, although the box is individual, there are, there are many ways all different people can help that box to get in the, in the right position, the right place, because, yeah, they're all different people who have different communications or different um, associations with certain people that can help each other. But it's not about helping each other in, bo- in boxing. It's about they just want to help themselves. Yeah, that's the um, the beauty of an individual sport to a degree. Um, when you did decide to retire from professional boxing, can you tell me about that transition for you? And that was, it was well, to be honest, it was really difficult because I wanted to retire, and then you sit at home and you think that you can still do it. You think that you just go back out and work hard. But like I said, boxing is so different to any other sport. And once you've been hurt and stuff in the sport of boxing, you don't have anybody that can help you. So it's not a, yeah, you, you can't go out on the field. Or you can go out on the field as a rugby league player, somebody that with a small injury and you know, the, other, the other 12 teammates can help you. But in boxing, if there's something wrong with you, you're just on your own. And if um, that person finds the weakness or, or can see the weakness or senses that weakness, uh, you know, the fight's over. And so it's, it's, it's different. But um, like I said, um, it was hard. Like I said, I retired, I came back, I retired and came back. Do I regret it? No, not one bit because I, I learned from it. It's maybe the first name today, but would I prefer not to have come back? Yeah, of course I would have preferred to have been able just to, when I first retired, just to, to stay retired. But like I said, it's, a, it's an ego. It, it's that thing where, oh, you're not in the paper anymore. You're not in the media anymore. Nobody's cheering you for you anymore. You know, you're not making that money anymore. So all those things, yeah, they, they all, you know, they eat at you and you think that, yeah, I'm going to go and, and do this again. I've done it once before. I can do it again. But like I said, boxing's a, Totally different sport to anything else. It's such an individual sport that when 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 you're when you're done, you're usually done. You went on to start a sports clothing brand, I believe. Yeah, um, buying boxing equipment and stuff in Rebel called Phoenix. Yep. Yep. When did this business idea actually? Where did it stem from? Yeah, we. I, I was involved in, um, in the manufacture of some boxing equipment through a company in Thailand uh, called Twins and first I just had my name on gloves with, with Twins and we're doing the and then it just got massive so we um, you know went into Rebel and we were the biggest by far in Rebel and uh, yeah then um, yeah, then several things happened in my life that made me mm, you know not want to do these things and uh, yeah so I um, just ventured off and forgot about it I wish I, wish I didn't because back and think, wow, you know, I had the, the biggest brand in Rebel and um, tell you I don't. But like I said, um, again, everything happens for a reason and I'm doing other things today and I'm, you know, I'm, you know like I said, I'm, I'm training young Brock Jarvis, which is a, an amazing um, thing that keeps me happy today. I'm, you know, like I said, I've got my, my eldest daughter got married a year or so ago and my youngest daughter just brought her first property. So look, I'm, I'm doing things at home with my family, which, uh, which are important as well. I think they sound like very exciting times ahead for you. Yeah. How valuable do you think it is for athletes to have a plan when they do decide to stop playing or retire from sport? Well, it's the most important thing ever. Look, all these people that don't know what to do after their um, days in a sporting um, arena are over. They, um, they they drink, they do drugs, they go and sit in pubs. And, you know, we need to have a we need to have a, a, a and as a manager, as a person who looks after, they need to have a, a, an A plan, a B plan, a C plan, just in case one of these don't work, so they, they can do other things. And I mean, I think it's so so important. And it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're the greatest player in the game or, or just one of the. All of them got to be treated the same. The managers need to treat them all the same. It, whether they're earning two million dollars or whether they're earning two hundred or two thousand dollars, we need to yeah, we need to have a plan for them. We still need to help these guys because, yeah, like I said, um, I didn't realise until you know my retirement and 
seeing people who I'd known, yeah, and seeing my own family members go through depression and stuff like that to, to see how much yeah, we, we do need help and, and to see it myself on, on occasions, to feel it myself. Uh, you know, to go out and you know, ask somebody how you are or to talk or to, to share your problem. I never I never thought you, you needed to do that. I thought that because you're a strong guy and you're a tough guy, you, know, you, just, you keep that to yourself. But those people who keep it to themselves sometimes aren't here to, to share their story um, long enough. So I just know that, you know, um, my outlook on that you know, sphere of my life is, is completely changed. And I, you know, whenever anybody needs any help, I'm, my, my door and my, my phone's always on for them, you know. That's really lovely and I think a lot of athletes only start to think about their next plan or their next step after they've finished sport and it can be quite detrimental to their health. Yes, especially after a month when, when nothing's happening and nobody's tapping them on the back or not invited to go places all of a sudden. Yeah, and like I said, because they've been in this tough sport and they think they're, they're supposed to be tough, they don't go and talk to people, they don't go and get help, they don't get the, the correct help. And man, we lose we lose people, we lose too many people that, are, that, are, that, that were beautiful and that were contributed to people loving the sport they play and way too young. You made a really good point just before about whether it's $2,000 or $2 million that you're making a month, everyone needs to be treated equally. And that's something that I've seen or I've spoken to a few athletes about now is the the resources and the support needs to be there, not just for the best of the best and the 1%. It needs to be there for every yeah, athlete. Think of, you know, when, we, when we talk about you know, rugby league, when we talk about certain sports, we, we, we always just talk about the elite. Now, listen, we've got to think about those other guys because, you know, they're trying their backside off. They're working just as hard and they, 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 they'd love to be just as good. And so I just think that um, it's really important that the league and every, every other association, sporting association, remember and, and, and work hard on every person in their, in, their, in, in their sport instead of, you know, instead of the, the top ones, you know, instead of the ones who bring money into the sport. Think of the ones who mightn't bring money into the sport, but they, they bring the sport together because without, without you know, 15 or 17 on each team, there's not a team. The, the 17 make the team, you know, and the, the coach and everybody else. You know, the, the whole lot of the people who, who run the club, from coaches to, to the guys who run the ward, run, they're all as important as each other. Yes, I completely agree. And it's something I think people are starting to realise now, but I think it has a long way to go in Australian sport. Yeah, definitely so. And like I said, it's, um, it's, it's late because, um, you know, um, we've got a lot of smart people in, in, in this country. We've got a lot of smart people that are involved in sport. But like I said, um, at the end of the day, which ones do they care about? They care about the ones that bring the money and make money for them. Because without the whole team, without the whole structure, we don't have a game anyway. You know, so we, we just need to look after the whole structure and everybody equally. What do you think are some of the most important resources needed in place to actually support these athletes? We need we need a forum. We need a, we need a forum where people can talk and um, you know yeah they can voice their opinion whether whether you're the greatest fighter in the world or whether you're the, somebody who you know fights four rounds maybe your record is, isn't as good as that but they they still they got a voice they still need to be heard they need to feel that they're, they're that they're as important as everybody else because yeah they're trying their best not everybody wins I used to always remember that there was a sign in our gym in Newdown Police Boys and it said um, winning isn't everything it's the only thing but I really hate the sign because I think that no winning is great and winning is and everything but I mean coming second or third and knowing that you've done your best that's no different for me it's no difference to winning if my fighter prepared properly and went out there with somebody better than us yeah, he mightn't get the belt but for me yeah, he deserves and he's, he's done the best he can and he needs to know that and that's the one of the things that I, I really push and strive that my all my fighters know that all that matters to me is not, it's not the victory on the day it's the preparation that we've went through and if we've gone through the great preparation that we're winners anyway 
what their personal best is is their best. Um, yeah, well, I mean, on that day, there's somebody better. There's, there's, there's two men in a race. One's going to win. One's going to lose. Does the, the person who loses get thrown to the to the dogs or to the lions? No. We try to encourage him how to become better, how how he can be better, you know. And yeah, we we, we try to you know make him feel that you know there's something there for him. Yeah. What skills do you think you as an athlete acquired that help you today where you are? Um, we've acquired a skill that uh, that um. It's a mental skill. See, I believe that um, everything comes from the head. I don't, there's nothing to do with the heart or anything else. It's first from the head, then from your heart. And I believe that if you know that you've worked and you've done something before, like when I first fought for my world title in my seventh fight, I was fighting 15 rounds. He can't fight 15 rounds. He's never done it before. He's never fought 15. I trained to do 15 rounds every day. Of course I was ready. My mind told me I was ready. I didn't care what everybody said. I didn't care if the whole world said I couldn't do it. I knew I could do it because I'd done it. So it's um, yeah, the thing that I try to tell everybody is preparation and mental preparation is everything. If you've done the preparation for something, and you know you've done it, you're going to go out there and you're going to achieve. And if you, you know, like I said, there's always a day where you might have a bad day or something happens. Like I said, you could have overtrained or undertrained. But if you've done the preparation, you believe in yourself, just go out and do what you love and enjoy it. And um, it, for, for me, like I said, um, irrespective of coming first or second or third, you've got to make sure that that person that's involved with you gives you the same the same love and feeling, knowing that his athlete just went out and, and did the best he could do. And if you, that's what you do, that's all you can do. I think that's a great skill. I think self-belief is, yeah, really great pieces of advice. What legacy do you most hope to leave now as a person? So it doesn't necessarily have to be an athlete. It could be as a father. But what legacy do you most hope to leave? Um, that I finish my sport. I've given people the opportunity to um, enjoy their life. I help different people in certain people every day. My wife and I send things to people to help them. And um, I love that more than any because I think that um, when I was a a young kid and had nothing. Um, what would it have been like to have something else? That's yeah, that's the person who I'd like to, to really believe that I am. I don't care about being um, you know, three-time world champion or in the Hall of Fame or one of Australia's greatest. But I would like to think that um, people who really know me know me as um, Jeff Phoenix, somebody who's really generous. When I was you know undefeated and stuff, where I forgot all about that and forgot all about all that stuff because you, you like I said, fame and fortune changes us all. But at the end of the day, um today married and nearly died last year makes me realize that there's um i've got a lot of good years left to, to make and um, not just myself and my life better but to help others and make them better and make them feel important and that's what i want to do i think you've helped me do that today just by getting on the phone with me i'm very grateful well i hope so and like i said um, i mean I, people can you know, people can judge people and they've never met them i don't i don't listen i don't judge anybody in there by any i want to see them i don't believe things i read in the paper I just look at people. I've met a lot of people who people have said things about and so and so and do most of the nice people I've ever met. I like I said, and for me, um, yeah, I've heard oh, I've heard some crazy stories about me. Um, you know, you know, some might be true, some might even be close to the truth. But like I said, um, all I know is that's the legacy I'd like to be. I'd like to leave that, that I was a person that um, when somebody needed some help or when somebody needed something that I was there for them and I was able to share. Yeah, I mean, if somebody needs some great advice, um, hopefully uh, they can ask me. Because like I said, I've, I've ridden the roller coaster, I've been to the top, I've been to the bottom, I've been, uh, I've been through it all and I just know that um, I've come out better. You know, I'm, I've come out a, a much wiser, better person. And um, to be who I am today, I had to go through those um, that, that roller coaster. If I didn't get in trouble, if I didn't do the, some of those stupid things I've done, I wouldn't be able to talk about them. And I'm, I'm more than happy to talk about the mistakes I've made if it's going to make people better and make them more aware of not making mistakes. I think that's a really wonderful legacy and it actually leads really nicely into my next question as well. So thank you. There are so many athletes that look up to you today. Do you have any advice that you received as an athlete that you still carry with you? I just worked hard. My, like I said, then, 
you know, I, Johnny Lewis, my mentor back then and my trainer, would always like um, and I when I say this, I know this factually because Mike Tyson tells exactly the same story that his that his trainer and mentor would say, Mike, if you do the right thing, you can you can achieve this, and all of a sudden you start achieving goals, and then you. You know, you, you, you want to achieve more. So I, I, I tell everybody, um, don't tell somebody they're going to be you know, world champion of the day, but if you, if you set achievable goals and these guys start achieving them, they're going to work harder. They're, they're going to dedicate themselves to doing what they want to do and, um, and they'll love life because, I mean, uh, there's nothing better than somebody giving you a challenge and then and then you're meeting that challenge and all of a sudden you're sharing this victory or sharing this success with them because, like I said, um, for me, all my victories weren't for me. They were, they were for the people who I wanted to, you know, first of all, that I wanted to who said that I couldn't do it and then the people who I, who said I could do it, I just wanted to share that with them I wanted them to yeah to, to share in my success and the joy and the and the happiness that it brings so that's who I am today that's what I represent that's hopefully what I'll represent for the rest of my life I think that's a really wonderful piece of advice I have one last question for you um, and it's a question that I ask every guest what's next what's next on the horizon for you well, obviously, my, my, my greatest uh, thing that I'd like to do next is uh, to get young Brock Jarvis and um, take him along the path that I went and him be world champion. But um, and again, it's not about being world champion. It's about him being a – because he's such a beautiful kid that I just would like that for all the hard work that he that he does and puts in that he'll get the success that he deserves. And I kind of really believe that because I believe in karma. I believe when people work hard and they're good people, good things happen. I mean, there's been days where I think – Wow, excuse me, this is the end for me. Shit, I'm, I'm at the lowest of lowest, and bang, something happens. Just something automatically happens. There's a window of opportunity, and you know, when that window of opportunity opens, you've got to be able to take it, you know. And I've been that person that's always been able to take it, and that's the advice I want to share. Like I said, and that's what I want to do. I want to make sure that um, people. I don't know, say, listen to this today, know that every one of us have got an opportunity to do what we want to do. It's just about, you know, rolling your sleeves up, working hard and, and believing in yourself. And like I said, it's not about if you become the, the best boxer in the world or the second best boxer in the world, but if you've tried your best and you've dedicated yourself to doing it the best you can, and if you're not successful in that sport, you'll take that procedure into another field and you'll be successful at something soon. It's just about finding what you're going to be great at. And my, like I said, mine wasn't rugby league. It was boxing. I found that by accident. So, I mean, I think we're all great at something and just be patient, be persistent and, and work hard and, and set yourself goals and you'll find what you're great at and you'll have a great life. I can't wait to see what you achieve next and what Brock achieves next. I think it's really exciting times ahead for you and thank you so much for just taking the time out to talk to me. Yeah, like I said, it's always a pleasure to talk. I like sharing, being honest and truthful and um, hopefully I was today and hopefully some people that whoever listens to it will, um, will yeah, will, you know, think, wow, you know, hmm, this is what life's about, you know. He's somebody who's made mistakes, he's honest enough to say it and, um, you know, he wants to help people. That's, that's who I hopefully will be remembered as. Well, I hope so too. I think you've helped me today and I'm, I'm really grateful. Look, we'll, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. I think that's the first professional athlete we've had, although he was still an Olympian. It's the first sport that we've had that's also seen as or recognised as a professional sport. I never in a million years expected he would answer my Instagram message, but here we are just finishing a recording and I'm extremely grateful for his time and for his experiences in his, in his sport. Thank you to everyone that's listened to this episode of So What's Next. If you enjoyed the episode and you want to listen to more episodes, uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, 
Google Podcast. I think there's a few other streaming services out there, but I will throw a link into the Instagram page at podcast. So what's next? So you can find all of them. Thank you again to Jeff Fennick, three-time world title holder in three weight divisions. Thank you. Thank you.